Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, good morning, Generations Church in Tallahassee. It's great to be with you. It stinks the circumstances, that is, but it's wonderful to be with you. I love you. You're one of my favorite preaching posts, and I'm honored to be here today. Your pastors will be back soon. Your shepherds will be back soon. We are praying for Pastor Brian Nugent, Bo Walker. Uh, We're praying for, it's like three Bs, Bo Walker, Brian Nugent, and Brent Jones, I believe. That's who we're praying for, all the families as well. This, uh, this pandemic has hit us all so differently. It's hit us so hard. I'm just coming out of quarantine. I've been out of quarantine for about a week with it. And uh, God is faithful. God is faithful, and he is faithful at Generations Church. I've got a message for you today. It's called Turnaround. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of Scripture. Acts, chapter 16. It's, uh, it's uh, called Turn Around, and we need a turnaround in 2021 as we launch into that new year. We're sick and tired of, of this stuff, but, uh, but God has something in store. He's got something in store in Tallahassee, Florida, too. He's doing stuff. We, there'll be a great falling away. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but there's also going to be a holy curiosity, and people are going to come to your church that would not have come had this not happened because God works all things together for good to those who love him, and you love him. You're a great church and a wonderful people with great leadership. Lord, we pray for Brent and Bo. We pray for uh, Pastor Brian. We pray for their families. We plead and pray the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, over each of their households, over their families. We pray over Generations Church. It's wonderful to be together virtually. It's much better to be together personally. There's something special when the body of Christ gathers together and worships corporately. There's some unique anointing on that. But virtual is far better than nothing, and it's a great, great day to be in your presence today. And I pray on this Sunday that you will bless Generations Church, that you would help me to communicate uniquely to the issues of the areas that I have no idea about, but the Spirit of God knows. So, Lord, I'm committing these moments to you now for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen from the couch. Say amen. Put amen in the comment section. Drop it in the chat. Today I'm preaching about posture. My text will be from Acts chapter 16. Posture is one of those things that I've been studying through this pandemic in 2020. Every single day when I go to the Lord in prayer and I go in my prayer closet and I journal, before I leave that prayer closet, I try to, it doesn't happen every time, but I try to establish a posture for the day. Recently I've established a posture for the week. This week's posture is I want to take the posture of progress. Sometimes my daily posture will be that of servanthood. I want to serve my wife or my family, obedience, confidence, uh, work, or rest. I want to take a posture every day. The Bible speaks much about posture. There are powerful images when it comes to posture. 
Let's just take a few. Kneeling. Kneeling is a powerful image. Ephesians says, for this, for this uh, cause I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something powerful about kneeling. Jesus knelt. Paul knelt. Even contemporarily, we see a football player kneeling and, and praying before the game, and it's controversial, or we, we see someone kneeling and, and choking the life out of another fellow human being made in the image of God. There's some powerful communication and imagery about posture. Or sitting, that's another posture. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. There are times when we need to sit in his presence like Mary of Bethany. And uh, there's a posture of standing. In the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 15, the Bible says Peter stood up and said, Hey, stop. We nor our fathers could keep the law. Why do we expect these people to do it? Jesus stood up in the midst. But today's posture is not any of those, sitting down or kneeling or standing. It's about turning. Acts chapter 16, verse number 16 says, Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe and then the multitude rose up together against him and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely and having received such a charge He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Turn around. Well, here's the backdrop of this passage. The Bible says that the apostle is going through this this area uh, of the world and preaching the gospel. He's not far from Philippi. Uh, He's going through and sharing the good news of Jesus. But but it was a demon-possessed girl. And she was uh, being trafficked. I just finished a film called Aren't You Somebody? And it's about human trafficking. And the setting is in both the U.S. and Thailand. And that's a subject that's close to my heart. It's an hour-long film, and God has already used it tremendously. This girl is being trafficked. She's being trafficked by some occult pimps. And she has a spirit of pythona, if you, if you study Uh, the text, a a python spirit, a snake spirit is around her. And she's following Paul and Silas for many days saying, these men are servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved. Now you would think that that is a wonderful marketing strategy. What's the saying? All press is good press. Even the bad press is good press. People are coming. The crowds are coming. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Every time she says this, this spirit, this demonic interference, see, she, she would uh, predict 
things that would happen in people's lives. And she made a great deal of money for her masters. And we know that the devil doesn't really read our minds, or we, at least I don't believe that. The Bible says Jesus knowing their thoughts. And we know that the enemy doesn't read our minds. He's not in us like that. But, but the enemy is old and strategic and cunning and can predict human behavior. So people would come and say, should I marry Bill or should I marry Earl? And predicting human behavior, this demon would speak through this little girl, and then they would go to the cash register, cha-ching, 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 making a lot of money for their masters. So this, this girl sees a crowd. The, 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 the handlers say, yeah, get in the crowd. And when she says, these men are servants of the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved, well, the pantheistic culture of the day, the, the Gentiles, they would hear that. The, they had lots of gods, There's Zeus and all kind of gods. And so they'd hear the Most High God. Well, we have a Most High God. I wonder what, what this guy, what these two men's Most High God, what, 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 what is the Most High God for Paul and Silas? And they would come. The Jews in the area, they would understand El Elohim, the, uh, Yahweh is the most high God. So it resonated with them. So when the crowds would come, rather than being a starting point to launch the gospel, Paul would have to continually explain, no, it's... God is not the most high of all the other gods. God, and, and there are not a lot of gods. There is one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus. And, and it would take a long time for him to try to undo what the demon was doing, interfering. And so the Bible says, after many days, and it seems like Paul had a short fuse anyway. It's, it's curious to me that he waited many days. After many days, Paul became troubled. If you look at the different versions, it says Paul became troubled, greatly troubled, annoyed, exasperated, uh, greatly annoyed is one passage. And in one, one translation says fed up. He became fed up. So as this demonic girl with the spirit of Python around her would follow and say, these men are from the Most High God. Finally, one day, the Bible says, Paul turned. That means to rotate from the center. Rotate on an axis. Paul turned, looked at this young girl, and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the scripture says, from that moment forward, the girl was free. Immediately, the girl was free. <laughs> but it was going to be the start of a chain of events, like a domino effect that would happen in Paul's life. Is there anything that you need to rotate on an axis about Generations Church? Individually, as a family, as a business, ministry within the church. Is there, is there some place that you need to stop what you're normally doing and turn on an axis and face down what's going on. It was, uh, it was uh, in northern Michigan. And um, many, many years ago, I remember it was in the summer. It was very cold. The tabernacle had no air conditioning, so it was very hot in the service. And your pastor knows all about those long camp services outside. It was really cold. You needed a jacket. I got a really bad cold, I remember, from that camp. 
One night as I was walking out of that camp, uh, there, was a, two, two, there were two girls that came up to me. I didn't really know those campers. And one of them said, could you pray for my friend? And I said, absolutely, I'd be glad to pray for your friend. It's like, you know, 11 o'clock, Pastor Brian, you know how those things go. And, and I said, what, what are we praying about? And I don't remember the exact need, but it seemed like the girl was in some really deep stuff. I mean, some really, um, really tough, tough stuff, as I remember. I can't remember the nature of it, but I do remember what happened. This was back during the Brownsville revival that happened down there in your district, in the West Florida district. I remember praying for that girl, and she fell straight away. Before she hit the ground, I had an intuitive, inherent knowing in my gut that this girl, I don't know who, what her name is, where she's from, or exactly what's going on with her, but this one is going to have ramifications. This one was a trophy of the enemy of her soul. This one here... And what's happening with God's power inside of her was going to have some blowback. And I'm just telling you that the next year was the hardest year of my life. I'm not saying cause and effect. I'm not saying because I prayed for that girl and she was such a trophy of the enemy that it came back on me. I'm, and I'm not saying that that's inaccurate as well. I'm just telling you the facts. I prayed for that girl. I knew what was going on was in the, in the spiritual realm was going to be a powerful thing. And my life really was hammered. Knowing exactly what I know now, if I had to do it over again, I believe in my heart of hearts, I'd do the same thing. I'd still pray for that girl. That's what Paul did. But his situation was on steroids compared to that little situation I just painted for you. He turned and rotated on an axis. He got annoyed, greatly annoyed. He got exasperated, fed up, worn out, troubled, and greatly troubled what is troubling you? Just remember, if you're going to turn around, if you're going to make a turnaround, there are some things you need to keep in mind. Turnarounds happen when somebody has had enough of something. Turnarounds happen when somebody has had enough of something. I have this quote in a book I wrote called The Third Chair, Implementing Lasting Change. I wish it was unique to me, but it is not. But I love the quote. No major change will ever be made until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change. Let me say it again. No major change will ever be made until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change. I called a pastor friend of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina, not too long ago, and, and uh, I think it was last year, actually. So what are you doing today, man? He said, well, I'm putting a rearview mirror in my car. I said, oh, what happened to the other one? One of my kids did a chin-up on it, pulled it off. I said, well, when did that happen? Oh, sometime early January. I called this guy on October the 18th. On October the 18th. So February, March, all the way through October, he was okay with it. But then the pain of remaining the same was greater than the pain of the change, and he had to do something. He had to have a different posture. He had a different, different action in his life. This is, uh, this is true with all of us. We'll put up with something. Until we can't put up with it any longer. We'll put up with it until we can't put up with it any longer. It reminds me of Judges chapter 3, I believe. The story of Ehud and Eglon. And I won't preach another sermon. But it's, it's just an interesting example from the Bible. Eglon was a fat king. And that's what God says in the Bible. I'm not janking on the guy. He was a fat king. The Bible says it emphatically. 
Ehud was a left-handed man. He was, he was left-handed. The Bible is descriptive for a reason. And so Ehud was paying tribute to the fat king who had taken possession of all the good stuff, the city of Jericho, 18 years, the city of Palms. And people would bring great uh, tribute with great pomp and great circumstances in front of the king. Oh, king, you are the fat king, and we give you all of our best money this year from the best crops we had. See you next year. Enjoy it. But Ehud had strapped a sword. Now, the Bible's rated R in places for violence. This would be one of those places. He had strapped a sword, a double-edged sword, with his left hand onto his right thigh. And the scripture says that the idols near Gilgal, he stopped. Now, see, these idols, this idolatry, this rebellion, this disobedience was causing the people to be under this oppressive thing. At the idols near Gilgal... He says to his buddies, he said, ah, go ahead, go ahead, I'm going to, I got to go back. You sure? Yeah, I got to go back. And so he goes back in to the king's presence. The Bible says he was sitting in the upper room or the cool chamber, which is another uh, way to say he was in the toilet, according to many, many commentators. And Ehud says, oh, King Eglon, I have a secret message for you. And Eglon says, quiet, shut up. Leave me alone. He dismissed all the attendants so he could hear the message. And the scripture says, Ehud removed from his right thigh with his left hand a double-edged sword or dagger. And he plunged it into the king's belly so far that the, the fat went over the handle. He said, you can have it. I got another one at the house. No, I just said that. And, and he went running past those same idols, and he announces, we are free, folks. We are free. And there was peace in the land for 80 years. So a baby born on the day that Ehud plunged that sword into the dominating force of the day, that baby would have 80 years of life without knowing the horror that they'd been under for 18 years. Why did that happen? Because somebody had enough of something. I've had it with this, whatever it costs. I took a group of students. Pastor Brian, I'm sure, has taken groups of students all over the world and AIM and all of that stuff. I've had a bunch of kids on an AIM trip in Moldova. I think we had 54 kids that year, something like that. And we had to stop in Romania and, and take a bus into Moldova we got to, uh, to Bucharest, I believe. Bucharest, Romania. Chisinau, Moldova is where we went. I think it's Bucharest. In Romania, we, we stopped. We had a little, um, a little field trip with the kids. I stopped at a cemetery, and I said, I want all of you guys to go through, go through this cemetery quietly and reverently, and I want you to come back here in 20 minutes and tell me what you notice they did that. They came back. Some of them didn't notice anything, but a lot of them got it. They said, Pastor Joe, all these graves are of teenagers and people in their early 20s. What's the deal? I said, here's the deal. They had a brutal dictator in Romania named Ceausescu. He lived in the biggest house in the world, bigger than the Pentagon. And he would eat chicken cordon bleu and lobster bisque, and his people would line up for eight hours to get a heel of bread until a group of people said the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change, no matter what it cost. And a lot of those Catholic kids, it cost them 
their lives, but they rose up until that, until that influence was destroyed and obliterated and the people had freedom again. So you can't really turn around until you've had enough of something. The second thing I wanted to tell you is turnarounds happen in the authority of Jesus Christ. Turnarounds happen in the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul healed people. Jesus healed people. Jesus raised the dead. Paul raised the dead. Uticus. Uh, Jesus did some things that Paul doesn't seem to be able to do. Jesus stopped the storm. The storm took him to Malta. Jesus cast out demons. Paul cast out demons, but the difference is Jesus didn't cast out demons in the name of anybody because he's Jesus. He doesn't have to call on any name. He is the name. But Paul rotated on an axis and he said, in the name of Jesus, there is authority in the name of Jesus. Uh, I have a mentor, Dr. Mark Rutland. He tells this story. It's hilarious to me. Sad to me. <laughs> he said he was in Africa, or as Dr. Mark says, Africa. And he was in the middle of an exorcism of a woman who was demon-possessed. And there were several African pastors around this woman. And they were just trying to set this woman free of these, of these horrible demons. And he says, right in the middle of that process, the woman opens her eyes and slaps Dr. Rutland right in the mouth, just slaps him in the face. And Dr. Rutland slapped her right back. <laughs> he, said, he said, one by one, those pastors just kind of stood up and said, I'm out, dog. I'm out. I'm out. Peace out. And they left. Nothing shuts down an exorcism like a salt and battery. <laughs> you can't face spiritual obstacles in the flesh or in the carnal powers that we might possess. Uh, we struggle against not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So after many days, he turns not in his carnality or his emotion or his anger, but in the authority of Jesus. Come out. And then from that very moment, she was free. It was again in Michigan, but this time it was in the northern part of the state at a family camp that I had preached, and that night was on July the 4th, and it was a glorious service. People were healed. People were filled. People were encouraged. It was a gl glorious. That's, that's what we're missing in this COVID age is the glory of coming together and just hugging strangers. I, I miss hugging strangers. When this thing is lifted and we get a, a vaccine, I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to stalk just total strangers. I'm going to hug people. I love being in the middle of an altar with a bunch of strangers and snot and tears and hugging people, laying hands on sick people without a mask on. But I digress. Anyway, we had that kind of an awesome service. And I got in a little golf cart, went back to my little cabin on the lake, and before the screen door closed, now I don't like to give place to the devil, and I don't like to talk about this very much, but I'm just telling you that what happened to me that night. Before the screen door closed, following me into that little cabin was the enemy of my soul, yeah, yeah, at me, yeah, yeah, at me. I threw my Bible and my bag on the couch, and I remember thinking these thoughts, see, my daughter had just been diagnosed with 
H-A-E, whatever that is, stands for something. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it's so serious that her hands would swell and turn blood red and her throat would close up. And they came to the house with a $7,000 EpiPen. It was a one-hit wonder. If you feel your throat starting to close up, you can give yourself that shot. Then you got to get another $7,000 pen. There was only four hospitals at that time in the world that even knew what this thing was. And that's what they diagnosed her with. And so following me into that little cabin, I'm hearing, look at you, Phillips. July the 4th, another holiday without your family. They're celebrating eating burgers on the back deck without you. And look, look at you. What do you have to show for this? What are you doing with your life? That kind of stuff. I know you probably have never experienced that. Ron McManus says, when you have a pity party, the devil brings the balloons and the whistles. Well, he brought the balloons and whistles for my little pity party. People in, that, people in that tabernacle have been healed, and your own daughter's got a $7,000 pen in her pocketbook. Some, some healing evangelist you are. And I don't know what happened to me that night, folks. It hasn't happened often. I wish it would happen more. But there was a faith switch that flipped inside of me. And I remember rotating on an axis from the center, turning on my heels, and saying to the enemy of my soul, in the name of Jesus, get thee behind me, get behind my, my daughter, get behind my house. No bad things come in my house. Only bad things have to leave my house. Just an authoritative prayer in Jesus' name and called my daughter immediately. I said, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your doctor and I want you to have them draw blood and I want them to send it to the Mayo Clinic and I want them to, to analyze it and give us a report, which the doctor did. And the Mayo Clinic said, you do not have H-A-E. That's, you do not have that. No $7,000 pins and all of that. I, I wish there were times in my family, in my life, that I had that kind of faith, that gift of faith, that spark of faith. But in this moment in the scripture, Paul had that kind of faith, and he turned and said, get behind me. Now, not only do they happen when somebody's had enough of something, and not only do they happen in the authority of Jesus Christ, but when you turn around, you got to understand that there may be ripples from that turnaround. It has consequences. It reminds me of the, of the couple about my age in the mid-50s. They're driving out west. They get lost years ago before GPS and all of that. They, they're, they're getting low on gas. They don't know where they're at. They see this little biker bar thing with a gas pump out front, and they stop there, and they go in to ask directions. And it's filled with grizzly old bikers, and a woman's standing there at the, at the bar a- asking directions with her husband, ordering food, paying for gas. And uh, <laughs> the woman turns around and looks at some old grizzly bikers and says, What are you looking at? And about 10 of them get up slowly and they start walking, walking towards the bar. And the husband's like, great, thanks. Your turnaround right there is going to cost me something. Now, you can finish that story any way you want to because I just made it up, all right? I'm, my, my whole point in saying it is that there are ramifications for turning around. What were the ramifications from Paul's turnaround? Well, <laughs> they came to the little girl and said, hey, should I marry Bill or should I marry Earl? I don't care. Marry who you want to. I'm free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. She had no ability to predict human behavior or the future. And consequently, 
those men who were pimping her out were not getting paid. And they became furious. And you see the age-old stench of racism raise its ugly head. Racism is not a unique to the United States of America in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the aughts. It's not unique in this moment. Racism has always been, especially anti-Semitism. See, uh, Timothy was a Gentile, and some that were traveling were half Jew, half Gentile. Paul and Silas were Jews. They had the look of a Jew. So the people The people get furious and say, these men being Jews. Got turned around, raised that head of racism. They're arrested. They're they're beaten. The Jews had a limit on how many times you could be beaten. But not so with the Romans. That's why Paul will later in the Corinthians say, "In, in stripes beyond measure. In other words, I got beat more than I could count. And they beat him severely because he turned. They, they put him in stocks. The stocks were fastened for the utmost discomfort of the human body. And they stuck him in a dungeon. They stuck him in a prison. They stuck him with men who were criminals of all stripes and varieties, some probably innocent, others heinous criminals. And there they were, all because someone decided that enough is enough. So if there's something that's annoying you, greatly annoying you, troubling you, making you exasperated, and you turn to face it down, just know that there may be consequences for that. I I think that's why people don't turn around more and face down the issues that are wearing them out because of the ripples and the consequences. But finally, I just wanted to tell you, Generations Church, that if you make a turn, there can be a harvest from someone turning around. Study history. Study scripture. When a man or a woman rotates on the axis and faces down something that is confronting them, there are unbelievable success stories for the kingdom of God. What happened when Paul turned around? Well, the earthquake happened. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe those tectonic plates or whatever they're called, maybe they were just on schedule to to shift right then. But I have a gut feeling that Paul's rotation had something to do with the rotation of the earth's plates. What? Another, Another harvest was simply this. Inside this prison at midnight, rather than cursing men who had beaten them, Paul and Silas decided that they would just bless God, that they would bless the Lord's name. And they began to sing, which was a tremendous witness to all of those criminals and prisoners. Another harvest was the earthquake caused all the chains to fall off. So so these prisoners who had been chafed and bleeding from the tightness of those chains, now for the first time, maybe in years for some of them, they experienced Freedom. Here's another harvest. There was a jailer. There was a jailer who was uh, in charge, probably had something to do with the beating. Maybe he administered it himself. He comes running in. All the chains are off. The doors are flung open. And he grabs a sword to kill himself. 
I can't prove this from Scripture, and I don't want to be extra biblical, but I know the commentators will say that he knew that his, his fate was sealed. If one prisoner would escape, that he would be done in, so he decided to do it himself. But could it be that he had a predisposition? He had a bend towards suicidal ideology. That suicide could come naturally to him in that moment because he had been playing it over and over in his mind. And he's about to kill himself. And Paul says in the Phillips translation, hang on, homeboy, we all up in the crib. Ain't no reason to kill yourself. That's the Joe Phillips translation. It's a bad translation. But Paul says, stop, nobody has left. There's no reason to kill yourself. And the harvest is that the jailer goes running and falls at the feet and says, what must I do to be saved? And you, believe, you read it later in the book of Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 31, thou shalt be saved and thy house. Someone says, well, why didn't Paul tell him to repent and believe? Because he was already repenting when he fell down in repentance and said, what do I have to do? So he gets saved, brings the prisoners, brings Paul and Silas into his own home. And, uh, and the same jailer that beat him now is washing the wounds. And one guy says, as their wounds were being washed, the jailer's sins were being cleansed. How powerful is that? So there's a harvest. And his house got saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy house. So the, aren't you certain that the little kids in this jailer's house were so happy later in life to remember a man turned around, and because of that turnaround, they had freedom from sin, and their name is written in heaven. But what I love is the thought of a, a girl who just for whatever reason, had opened herself up to that python spirit, that snake that had just been choking her to death spiritually, that because of Paul rotating, that that girl never had that snake in her life again. So Jesus did a fair amount of turning, so we should too. He turned in the Bible and looked at him and rebuked the disciples. He, he didn't have a problem turning and rebuking. He didn't have a problem turning and looking at, at uh, Simon Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't have a problem turning when a woman touched the hem of his garment. He turned, the Bible says, and says, you're free. He turned around. Paul turns around. We need to turn around. I think it's in Luke 22 where, where uh, Jesus tells Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has tried to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that after you turn, you will strengthen the brothers. We all need to turn. When I, when I get to heaven, I might interview Paul, probably won't, probably won't get a chance, but I, I'm curious. Paul, we know that you're a short-fused kind of guy, so why did you put up with that day after day? And the answers may be these. That's all I can come up with here on earth. Maybe he liked the press. Maybe he recognized that this girl screaming was bringing a crowd. Maybe he said, well, I can handle this. It's just white noise. I don't want to come across too spiritually, dynamically violent or whatever. Maybe he 
Maybe he knew the ramifications as he saw these occult handlers peeking around the corner of buildings. Maybe he was afraid. I doubt that. Maybe he knew what was at stake and didn't, didn't want to be beaten. I don't know. But the real question is, why do you let something trouble you, greatly trouble you, annoy you, greatly annoy you, exasperate you, wear you out? Why do you let something follow you that makes you fed up and not turn around? Because Jesus has given us authority. I've said from the beginning, if COVID comes to my house, there is one way it will not find me. It will not find me afraid. I've already made the turn on that. Early on in March, I've already turned. No matter what happens, I'm not going to be afraid of this because Jesus says 365 times, fear not. What do you need to turn around and face? Is it the prospect of financial loss? Is it fear of the election coming up? Uh, what is it? Is it, is it a, a, a mistake you've made in your past? Turn around and face the enemy in the authority of Jesus Christ if the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change. I want to close with this before I pray for you. The Bible says uh, it's possible to turn aside and follow Satan. That's in the scripture. And many have turned aside to follow Satan. But it also says that many have turned to the Lord. If you have not turned to the Lord yet, it's very simple. You come to him like a child, childlike faith. You just come to him and you receive a gift like a little kid would. For me, wow, open-handed and thankful. Thank you for this gift. And we'll give you an opportunity in a moment to pray. But I want to close with, with a man that was a friend of mine. He's passed now. He grew up in the Assemblies of God in the 1940s in South Georgia. But in the 1940s, it was a sin to play athletics and ball, and he was a very great uh, athlete, semi-pro football player, uh, was a college athlete, scholarship in different sports. And so at the age of 14, from the Assembly of God Church, he began to sneak around and play ball till he couldn't sneak around any longer, and he just went as a 17-year-old headlong into sin. And in a, as an 18-year-old drafted off to World War II in Japan, came back, he was an alcoholic. But he was a very successful alcoholic. He was a civil, he was a civil servant, a, a civil employee, but he was also a very uh, phenomenal broadcaster on TV and mainly radio. And he would, he would, uh, he would interview the greats like Dizzy Dean, Cleveland Indians baseball pitcher, and Metalark Lemon. But he would always have a, a bottle, a pint underneath his car seat. He'd drink every day. He was definitely an alcoholic. And he was married to a woman in their 30s. They got married, had a couple of little girls. And one day, his wife got sick, went to the hospital, said she has a brain tumor. And uh, in 1969, a Lebanese doctor named Dr. Hazuri came in after the surgery and said to my friend Jimmy, said, uh, I did the best I could, but I don't think she'll make it through the night, and you need to be prepared to raise these two little girls by yourself. It was an eight-year-old and a, five, and a five-year-old or a four-year-old. Well, actually, a three-year-old, eight and a three-year-old. When he said that to my friend, 
My friend's mother-in-law passed, away, passed out straight away. She didn't pass away. She passed out straight away, just, just fainted in the hospital room. Jimmy took that information and walked down in a hallway at the medical center and saw a, a sign that said chapel. And he rotated on an axis. He removed himself from the center and he went into the chapel to reconnect with the God of his childhood. And he said, if you will save my wife's life, I will put alcohol down, my cigars down. I will serve you all the days of my life. Kind of made a deal with God. And uh, Jimmy died in 2012 as an at the age of 80-something. And I'm happy to report that every morning his 92-year-old wife wakes up in my house because God kept his word. And you know what happened? Jimmy kept his word. She was healed from that surgery. She had a few permanent things, some disfigurement a little bit, but it's, it's a scar that communicates the grace of God to us. She has a sharp mind, all because a man rotated in a hospital room, hospital hallway and walked in to connect with God. He raised two little girls that love the Lord, and they've got seven kids. I've got four. Julie has three. They all love the Lord. There's something powerful about turning. If you need to turn to the Lord, pray this prayer. I'm, I'm going I'm to open my eyes. You're sitting on a couch, you're listening to it on a replay, watching it on Facebook this week. Simple prayer, right there in your truck, pray. Jesus, come into my life. I'm sorry for my bad thoughts. I'm sorry for my bad words. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I was supposed to do and didn't do. Please forgive me and wash me and make me whole. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer, send us a message. We have moderators here at Generations Church. Send a private message or just be bold and put it in the, put it in the chat there. I prayed. I'm turning to the Lord. I'm turning to the Lord. Now I want to pray in conclusion for our election, for our pastors on the staff. And I want to especially pray for brothers and sisters. Do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to pray for you that God will help you turn and face the enemy and find a great harvest. Let's start with that prayer. God, for the precious people of Generations Church, maybe depression has followed them, somebody, all of their life. And Lord, we're thankful for psychiatrists and psychologists, and we're thankful for medication, and we, there's no shame in the game when it comes to that. But there may be a time when this harassing depression that's like a cloud that we turn on our heels and we say, Lord Jesus, put your heel on the head of the serpent and let there be great joy and great victory and great light that will flood the souls of your people. Financial lack and loss, following and harassing. Let some man of God have the courage to turn around now, raise his hands and say, not in my authority, but in the authority of Jesus Christ, do we face this enemy. And we believe for supply and we believe for resources that will be attracted to us like magnets are attracted to metal. Other things, there's somebody maybe 
struggling with harassing temptation. It just comes at them every single day. Let them turn in the authority of Jesus. Give them a great harvest. Give harvest to your people, Lord. We pray for our nation. We pray for the election. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God, we're asking you for victory in the heavenlies, victories on earth. Uh, Sin is a reproach to any nation, but righteousness exalts a nation. We're praying, God, for holiness that transcends party, transcends red and blue for a holiness and a righteousness to flood our earth and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit and love and a tenacity for your gospel and faith that transcends all political issues. And we pray that you would have your way from the, from the courts to the, to the school boards, to the Congress, and to the President in Jesus' name. Now we pray for Pastor Bo and for Pastor Brian and Brent. We, we're asking God for a, of the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead would quicken their bodies and quicken their house. And God, you get them back with greater momentum than they've ever enjoyed in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, listen, Generations Church, follow all of the information, the emails, the, all the announcements and all the stuff. Just keep your eyes peeled and your ears tuned to all the exciting things happening here. And thank you for allowing me to have just a small part of your week this week. It's been a great honor. May the Lord bless you and help you and keep you in all your ways in Jesus' name. Bye-bye, Generation Church. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.